Thanks, Adam, and thanks to our team as they've led us through our time together this morning. What did you think of that hymn? How Can I Fear? Lovely, isn't it? Really, uh, really beautiful. You can Some of the uh, folk who are good with harmonies and things like that, it's one of those songs that you can really do beautiful harmonies to, and so uh, I trust you, uh, you enjoyed that. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we want to thank you again for just this time together this morning. We want to thank you, Lord, for, for Vic and the testimony he shared with us today, and Lord, just uh, how you have uh, just, yeah, just um, been... Working out your purposes even this week, just in uh, the, uh, talking about obstacles and how we overcome obstacles in our life with you. We thank you for that testimony. We pray now that as we look at this passage that you'll continue to remind us of what a faithful God that you are and how we ourselves can overcome obstacles looking to you and having trust and faith in you. And so we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've certainly heard a number of uh, obstacles that uh, the Vic shared with us this morning, and no matter who we are, one thing is for certain, that all of us are going to face obstacles in our lives, because things, always, things definitely won't always go to plan, will they? Some of these uh, obstacles can come uh, as a result of choices that, that, that we make, but sometimes that they, can, they can come to us just simply um, at, you know, because of forces that are completely beyond our control. But all obstacles, no matter how big or how small they may be, can bring with them a sense of, of fear and despair, a sense of, of angst and of anxiousness and that sort of thing within our hearts. And yet we're told in the scriptures that for the believer that uh, all obstacles can also become stepping stones, if you like, to, uh, to a much stronger and a much richer faith. One of the things I came across this week was, uh, was, was this beautiful uh, quote. It says, only God can turn a mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph, and a victim into a victor. Quite clever, isn't it? This passage this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 3, I want to just quickly go through five truths that we all need to remember whenever we face obstacles in our lives. That uh, those, these truths, I, I pray, will help us all to be able to face these kind of obstacles, all the obstacles that we face in our lives without fear, but will also help us grow in our faith in the, in, uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to go through these five fairly quickly this morning. And uh, so I trust that as you follow along, follow along please in your uh, passage. If you'd like to take notes, hopefully it'll be fairly easy to sort of just uh, get these five points down as well. The first thing I want to uh, tell us this morning that we're going to look at this morning is that when facing obstacles, we never face obstacles alone. The people in this passage here, the people of God, faced a very significant obstacle in the person of the king of Bashan and his army. Now uh, we find a few things about uh, what uh, about the uh, this king. First of all, that uh, that as the people journeyed up the uh, the eastern side of the Jordan River up into uh, what we know today as modern day Jordan, uh, back in those days it was known as uh, as the area of, of Moab. The people were were, were um, coming up the uh, the eastern side, and they faced two fairly um, significant kings in that in that region. These two kings ruled that whole region. Uh, this King Sion, 
of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan. And we're told in verse 1 that as the people turned and went up the way to Bashan, Og, the king of Bashan, came out against them, he and all his people, to do battle at Edrei, this particular, uh, this particular place. As we can see, that uh, the, 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 uh, the scripture writer here is very um, deliberate in, in setting this, this history in its context and pointing, pointing to the places that these events actually took place. And this king, this Og, came out with all his army and we're told that in verse 5 that he was a king who commanded um, you know, quite a significant region, 60 cities in all. And these cities were uh, very much uh, fairly strong cities. They were fortified with high walls and gates and bars. You might re- recall that uh, if you go back into... Um, to uh, the first time that the Israelites came to this land of Canaan that they were going to be uh, going into, that God had promised to give them. When they sent the spies in for the first time, the 12 spies, they came back, they gave the uh, the report to the people and uh, 10 of the spies said, yes, it's just as though God had said it would be, but there are giants in the land and their cities are much too strong for us to defeat. And so they were afraid and they convinced the people not to obey God, not to go in and take the, uh, the cities because they were indeed afraid because of, of what these, uh, these cities presented. Here we see the same cities are still there. Og, this king of Bashan, as I said, 60 cities with high walls and gates and bars. He commanded a very, very strong army. And this Og, this king of Bashan himself, was one of these giants. He was a descendant of the Rephaim. We see that in verse 11 this morning. And the Rephaim were some of the last surviving uh, descendants of the Anakim, which we uh, read about uh, back, in, uh, back in Numbers. The fact that uh, King Og was, was mentioned here as being a descendant of Rephaim really is meant to draw our attention to the fact that he was a giant of a man. In fact, it goes on to give some dimensions of his bed, this bed of iron, although it uh, could also be transferred his coffin as well. So uh, the commentators are a little bit uh, unsure of, of whether or not it was his bed or his coffin. But it was, but it was a, it became a museum piece on display at uh, Rabbah of the Ammonites. It says it was nine cubits in length, four cubits in breadth, according to the common cubit, which basically meant that the bed was about four metres long and about two metres wide. Um, if any of you have a king-size bed at home, probably not too many people here have got a king-size bed, but they're basically about 1.8 metres wide and only just over two metres long. So that gives you a bit of an idea of how big this guy's uh, bed or coffin was. So he was a giant of a man. And these people, the people of God, were facing this very significant obstacle, a very significant challenge. And what does God have to say to his people when faced with such an obstacle? Well, we read that here in verse 2. But the Lord said to me, to Moses, the leader of the people, do not fear him. Do not fear. And God's command to not fear is always based on his premise that his people are not on their own. In verse 2, we see that uh, God says to them, Do not fear him, because I have given him and all his people and his land into your hand. 
In verse 22, where God says to Joshua, who was going to take over the leadership of the people from Moses, he says, You shall not fear them, that is the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. God is going to be with his people. God is going to enable them to accomplish that which he planned and purposed for them. God is going to be on their side. You know, God has always promised to be with us as his people. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. In fact, there are numerous passages in scripture which point us to the fact that as God, as God reminds us that we need not fear, he says that he will always be with us. Isaiah 41 and verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Again in Psalm, Isaiah 41 and verse 13. Psalm 118 verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear, what can man do to me? That is the, 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 uh, the confidence and the hope and the assurance that the, uh, the, the child of God can have in knowing that God is always with us. And then across in the New Testament, Romans 8 verse 31 says, If God is for us, then who can be against us? That is the assurance we have whenever we face obstacles in our lives, that we never face them alone, that God says to us, we need not fear because he is with us. God is always with us in the midst of the most difficult trials and the most challenging of obstacles. So we never, whenever we face these obstacles, we never face them alone. The second point is this, that there is no obstacle that God cannot help us to overcome with his help. There is no obstacle that can stand in the way of God accomplishing what he intends. And we see that in verse 3. He says to his people, Go and do battle with this old king of Bashan, because I have given him and all his people and his land into your hand. And then in verse 3 we read, So the Lord our God gave into our hand Og also the king of Bashan and all his people. God always accomplishes what he intends. And folks, today we can know that for us in our lives there is no obstacle that is so insurmountable that God cannot help us to overcome it. Now, that doesn't mean that God will remove all our obstacles, though. Because when we look in the New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul, who in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 8 to 9, prayed to God and asked him three times to remove this thorn that he had in his flesh. And there is some debate as to what that thorn may have been in Paul's flesh. Some think it may have been a, uh, a stomach complaint. Others think it might have had something to do with his eyes, that he was struggling with, with, uh, with, uh, with vision problems and things like that. But whatever it was, Paul prayed to God for three times to remove that thorn from his flesh. And God said no. But what God did say is that, but... My grace will be sufficient for you in the midst of your obstacle, in the midst of your difficulty. My grace will sustain you and help you and get you through it. Of course, the greatest example we have is the example of Jesus Christ. 
who when facing the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed to the Father, prayed so um, fervently that the, the drops of blood actually came out of, his, out, of his, uh, out of his forehead and poured down his face. He sweated blood knowing the, uh, the incredible suffering that he was about to face. And he prayed to God, Father, if it is your will, please take this from me. Don't let me, don't allow me to have to go through this incredible suffering and pain. And yet Jesus was able to say, but not my will, but your will. And God enabled Jesus to go through that horrible and brutal and incredibly torturous death for us, for our sin that our sins might be paid for. God always has a means of helping us to endure through and overcome any obstacles that we face. That there is no obstacle that God cannot help us to overcome. Third thing, as you can see, I'm rushing through this a fair bit this morning because I am fairly conscious of time with kids Zone finishing very, uh, very shortly. The third point is this, when facing obstacles, God always has a purpose in our, in our trials and it is for our good. God always has a purpose when we go through trials and difficulties in our lives. You might recall back in when we did that series in James, James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4, where James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. In other words, James is saying that as we face these trials and these hardships and these obstacles and these difficulties in our lives, that God can use those in order to uh, to complete us, to strengthen our faith, to build our trust and our hope in him, and then to be a powerful witness and testimony to the power of God at work in our lives. George Muller um, the, uh, the fellow who had a lot of orphanages in, uh, in England who relied so incredibly upon God for their very basic daily needs uh, said this. He says, I say and I say it deliberately. Trials, obstacles, difficulties and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith, that which nourishes our faith. Hmm. And of course, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. There is the promise, there is the confidence we can have that for those who love God, God works all things together for good for those who have been called according to his purpose. We heard Vic testify this morning about that very fact That although his early childhood was far from ideal, God used those circumstances, God used those situations, God used his experiences to bring him to a place where he would hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But not only that, God used those situations and those circumstances and those obstacles in order to shape Vic into the person that he is today to give him a testimony whereby he is able to point to the reality of God and God's faithfulness and God's um, dependability, if you like, in his life. You know, God was in this passage in in Deuteronomy 3. God is going to use these circumstances faced by these Israelites to strengthen their faith and their trust in him, to reveal to them his power and his might, to prove to them his faithfulness, his love, his justice, his grace, and to prove to them that, that there is nothing that can thwart his plans and purposes. And God showed them. He, he did that by helping them and enabling them to defeat this Og, this king of Bashan, and to take possession of that land on the eastern side of the Jordan River before the Israelites were then to cross over and, uh, and, and, and conquer the land of Canaan. That, uh, that area on the eastern side really needed to be shored up before they crossed over the river so that they weren't going to be then facing enemies on two sides. God says to us that he will use the circumstances to, do, to, uh, to, to accomplish his purposes. And we're told that what God promised, he accomplished. And folks, we need to remember here that it was God who actually led his people into this situation. God led, these, led his people into this battle against this incredible king, but God was with them. And you know what? God will sometimes lead us in our lives into difficult situations and to, to face these obstacles, but he does so for a purpose. And we need to always confidently know that God's purposes are for good in our lives. One thing I would just want to briefly mention this morning, and I can't deal with this passage without actually looking at it, and it is this, is that we need to briefly look at or mention God's command to actually kill all the inhabitants of these cities. Where uh, we, we, we read that phrase that they were devoted to destruction. I haven't got a lot of time to go into this this morning, and honestly this is almost basically a message in and of itself. But what we need to recognise is that this was also part of God's purpose. Okay, This was also part of God's purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but when we read these kind of verses about God and what he commanded his people to do, they can be really jarring. They can be really quite confronting. Because we, we, it's really, really hard for us to sort of try to, uh, to, to kind of get in our heads how could a, the God whom we know, this loving, wonderful, gracious, merciful, compassionate God actually command such things to, for his people to do. It doesn't kind of fit with how we expect God to act in, in, spite, in, in, in terms of his character. One of the things we need to remember is if you go back to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 16, we read that uh, this is where God has, has um, spoken to Abraham again and he has reconfirmed his covenant with Abraham, that, uh, that he is going to bring about his purposes. He's going to make Abraham into a great nation. He's going to bless him. And, he's, and through, the, the, through Abraham and the people who would be his descendants, God would bless all the nations of the world. And he says to Abraham that, uh, that, that his people are going to be slaves in a foreign country for some 400 years, but that, that one day he will bring them back to this land of Canaan where Abraham actually is at this particular point in time in Genesis 15. God says he'll bring the people back to this particular uh, land, but 
it will, but it'll only be when the sins of the Amorites have actually been fulfilled or completed. In other words, it's kind of like this filling up right to the very brim, if you like. Now, Sion and Og were both kings of the Amorites. And so God had given these people some 400 years plus in order to, uh, to, to know him and to respond to him, and yet they'd chosen not to. In fact, the Amorite people were a very, very evil people. They were participated in all kinds of, of horrible kind of acts, including child sacrifice and things like that. They were an incredibly evil people. And so God was going to, uh, to punish them for their sinfulness. Few truths I just want to help us to uh, to try and, and sort of get our heads around you know this whole aspect of being devoted to destruction this morning. The first is this quickly. It was a specific situation. You know we need to recognise that in this particular passage that God was relating specific circumstances. Okay, with regards to the early the early part of His nation's history. All right. So these were very specific circumstances related to that day and to that specific occasion. That God was not basically setting out something which was then to be the norm, that, that this holy war would be something which his people could carry out you know, whenever and whenever they chose. But this was a very specific circumstance which God was dealing with. And we need to re- remember that God's ways are sometimes beyond our understanding, but always God's ways are perfect and right. The second thing we need to understand is that through this, God revealed his holiness and his righteous judgment on sin. And in this, we see that all sin will be judged by God and result in death. In fact, we read in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 that the wages of, uh, the wages of sin is death. As I said, the Amorites were a particularly evil people. And in a sense, these people became an example and a warning to all people and God's people included of what sin actually deserves. We see something um, very similar in the, uh, the New Testament with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. You can read about that a little bit later on. The third point is that God was also using this as as a protective measure, that he did not want his people to be um, corrupted, if you like, by the religious practices of the inhabitants of the land. He didn't want them to uh, to be basically tempted to compromise their uh, their, their beliefs and their trust and their faith in God. In fact, God had said to them that they were to be a holy nation set apart for God and for his purposes. So we've just looked at very three very, very quick things there with relation to help us understanding why God actually you know, commanded his people to, to kill all the men, women and children in the cities. So let's come back then to our, uh, our last... Um, our last just skip through here again. Our, our, uh, our last second last point, sorry. When facing obstacles, what we need to do also is we need to remember how God has acted in the past. All right? So when we face obstacles, we need to cast our minds back to how God has acted on our behalf in the past. Because the more we see God's love and faithfulness in action, how he proves it to us time and time again, can give us an even greater confidence in him when we face obstacles in the future. 
verse 21, it says that uh, God says um, to Joshua, And I commanded Joshua at that time, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. God said to, to Joshua as he was about to lead the people of God, taking over the leadership from Moses, he says to him, I want you to remember these two specific instances of how I have helped you defeat Sion and Og because they will assure you and give you confidence of knowing that as you go into this land and you face even greater challenges, that I will be with you and I will go before you and fight for you. Folks, the more that we step out in faith, the more God reveals his power and the glory and the more we are encouraged to trust him. We need to remember what God has done in the past, how he has helped us and how he has, has he's gone before us and he was, how he has helped us overcome obstacles and things like that in our lives so that we might trust him more and we can step out even in, into greater um, avenues of faith and trust with him. I was going to share with you just very, very briefly this morning about a particular, uh, I guess, a particular giant that I faced in my life only a couple of years ago in the form of burnout. Came to that time I knew that I was in trouble when I, was, when, I, when I hit this particular point in my life and I knew that my body had hit a wall and I was incredibly afraid, incredibly afraid. I thought that I had let down God so incredibly badly. I thought I'd let my family down. I thought I'd let the church down. And I wasn't sure what was going to happen to me or my family or the church at that particular point in time. I wondered whether or not I'd ever be able to come back from this particular um, illness. I'd heard the horror stories of the number of pastors who themselves had hit burnout and that pretty much ended their ministries. In fact, there are a number of, number of guys in our churches today, both here in this country and right throughout the world, who have been pastoring churches who have hit burnout and are no longer able to continue on. I was told that I would need six months from, off from work and I wondered how on earth we as a family then would survive. Without an income, we could lose our house. The girls would need to change schools. Our lives would be completely turned upside down. But God had the situation in hand. And through his provision, through people like Keith Drinkle, through people like the church leadership at the time, the church family, a Christian psychologist and a Christian doctor, God got me and my family through and he brought the church through that as well. And I can look back on that and see how God had proved faithful and that gives me confidence and assurance of knowing that no matter what kind of obstacles we will face in the future, that we have a God who is able to help us to overcome, to come through, to come out the other side and to come out the other side stronger and more confident and more trustworthy in him. We need to remember how God has acted in the past. And finally, we need to remember that God has placed us within a supportive community. Here we're told about the tribes of Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh in verses 12 through to 22 
who were given the territory on this eastern side of the Jordan River as an inheritance for their livestock. It was good pasture land, and these people were, were, were they, they weren't farmers, they were, they were livestock raisers, if you like. And in fact, if you go to Amos chapter 4 and verse 1, it gives you a bit of an idea of, of, uh, how fertile the land was and, and, uh, and how abundant it was in terms of raising livestock. And they wanted to stay on that particular side of the, uh, the, the, uh, the river of Jordan and to be able to raise their livestock in this good pasture land. But we read that, that, that they could only do so on the proviso that they would help their brothers conquer the land of Canaan. We read that in verse 18 where it says, And I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All your men of valour shall cross over armed before your brothers, the people of Israel. In other words, they were to go and help them. Folks, we are meant to bear one another's burdens. We have been placed in this community of faith within the people of God and we are called to bear one another's burdens. But I want to ask you this morning, how can we do this? How can we help bear one another's burdens if we ourselves constantly put on these these fronts, these facades, and that we refuse to be open and honest with each other. We all face obstacles and difficulties in our lives, and the temptation is to not let on that we are struggling, that we need help, that we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us, to help us, to pray for us, to be, to offer practical help and that sort of thing in those sort of ways, to be actually to, to, to say to one another, you know what, I am really struggling, I'm struggling with this sin, or I'm struggling with this situation, or I'm struggling with, 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 with these kind of feelings or emotions of that sort of thing and I need your help that is why God has placed us in community because each and every one of us need each other every single one of us but the temptation for all of us is just to sort of come to church put on this front and someone says oh how are you going you say oh, I'm fine oh it's all good when you know deep down inside that your life has fallen apart or that you're struggling with, 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 with trying to actually overcome a particular sin in your life and you need someone to, to pray with you and to, to keep you accountable. But instead we pretend. I want to just point out just a couple of things about that. That when we do pretend, when we put on these fronts, when we fail to, to be vulnerable with each other, that when we do this, we are robbing people of an opportunity themselves to grow in their faith and to be used by God to provide assistance to us. Not only that, we're also undermining the very purpose of why God placed us in community. So we're actually deliberately working against the purposes of God. And we also become a hindrance to the witness of the power of the gospel. Because it is the gospel that breaks down the barriers, breaks down these things which divide us and, 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 and scatters us. It's the gospel that brings us together. 
Knowing that there is not one of us who really has got it all together in our lives. Not one of us who really, you know, is able to be able to just, you know, be an an island and just be completely, you know, independent of one another. We all need one another and the gospel is what binds us together and the gospel is the power through which our lives is transformed and how this community of faith is transformed and displays the power of God to those around us. You see, this is a bit of hobby horse of mine at the moment. Vic, I want to thank you for sharing your story with us this morning, for, for being vulnerable with us. And I'm sure that God has used you to encourage others here today. But folks, you know what? God wants to use each and every one of us in similar ways by being willing to just share our story by being willing just to open up with, with each other. I'm not saying that we've got to do that with everyone. Just You need to just, you know, just someone who you can confide in, you can trust in, or maybe a couple of people just to be praying with you, supporting you. You don't need to air all of your dirty laundry in, you know, in, in, in the public domain, so to speak. But we need each other. Because God wants to use us for his purposes. And yes, the challenges we face can be God's building blocks for strengthening our faith and the faith of others. So whatever obstacles that you're facing today or that you will face in the future, you need not fear. When damaging words cut you, when the weight of responsibility overwhelms you, when the depths of despair cover you, when the clutches of sickness worry you, when the tangle of sin trips you and when the worry of the future haunts you, you do not need to fear because God is with you. God has a purpose. God is working out and will enable you to overcome these things, enable you to come through these things and be a stronger person with a wonderful message, a powerful testimony to the wonderful goodness of God and the faithfulness of God in your life. Please don't see your weaknesses, your frailties, your struggles as things which are necessarily bad. But please see them as opportunities in which you're able to see God at work, in which you're able to see God prove himself, in which you're able to see the faithfulness and the love and the mercy of God upholding you and encouraging you and lifting you above these obstacles. Please see them in that light today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've promised to provide all that we need in order to face and overcome our obstacles. We thank you that you are indeed far greater, far far stronger and and far more powerful than anything in this, this world can ever bring against us. And that if God is for us then who can be against us? We thank you that your plans and purposes are good and we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to continue to trust you more, to continue to look to you and be dependent upon you and, above all, be willing to be used by you through these obstacles, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Rather than close with a song this morning, um, 
I'm going to send you out to morning tea in a moment and let the, the music team play Great Is Thy Faithfulness so that can get stuck in your head as you head out there. But I do want to close with the benediction. So this morning as you go, let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of your circumstances. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. Stand firm in him that he be praised forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning. Head out with this beautiful hymn playing in your heads. Mm -hmm.